happy to have you on the podcast, Francina from Holland. Welcome to uh, to the show. Uh, Thank you. I'm, Thank you for inviting me. I have been practicing Reiki here in the Philippines since 2015, and I started teaching in 2016. And I really feel the more I learn, the less I know, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so uh, I just recently read your book, Japanese Art of Reiki. And as I mentioned to you uh, earlier, as we were chatting, I'm making it a required reading now for all my students, because I feel like um, it will really, really deepen their practice. So yeah, I'd love to hear about your story, your journey, how you first discovered Reiki. I, I heard from a previous uh, interview that you were in Nepal. So, so that's, I want to know all about how you got there <laughs> in the first place. And then uh, I want to talk really about um, Western Reiki and Japanese Reiki. Great. Yeah. So I started uh, in 1999 uh, learning the system of Reiki first in uh, Nepal, Kathmandu. I was living in India for two years and Nepal. And uh, sorry, France, how did you leave? So you lived overseas most of your life or, or how um, did you, I'm, were you a traveler? Yeah. I'm, I'm a big traveler. I okay. love traveling. My mom and dad didn't have much money, but all they really did with their money, they didn't, we didn't have a car. We didn't have, you know, they, they weren't into expensive radio and stereo things or going out and partying. All their money was always saved to go and on holidays. So amazing. Uh, we traveled through through Europe and um, I was born in Holland and raised there and when I was 21 I traveled to Australia for a year and then I went back to Holland I was a big party person <laughs> so I hear <laughs> oh, uh, parties are great of course uh, I'm, I'm quite a social being for myself I like that 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 social engagement and yeah then after Australia when I was 21, 22. I came back to Holland again, uh, just party and lots of nice uh, other things. So then <laughs> Amsterdam I, is, is a good place. <laughs> it's Amsterdam is definitely a good place for that. <laughs> yes. So yeah, the, the, when I was then 30, I didn't feel physically so well and mentally. So we decided to go to Asia and we came first to India. So when you say we, was it your family, your partner? Yeah, it was my partner at that time, Bronwyn. Yeah. So we decided to uh, go to uh, India first because we enjoyed the food. And there I started uh, in the Himalayas. I had this really interesting experience with a local healer. And that triggered really a search for me. And, and what did I really experience? What was it? And if I look back, really see kind of, and I have no idea, of course, how she did this, that that was her way of doing it. Uh, she kind of showed me in a very quick glimpse, the essence of my true nature. Mm -hmm. And because I didn't understand it, you know, if we don't water these seeds, then of course it doesn't grow. So, but I started to look in different directions, yoga, Ayurveda, meditation, Buddhism. And one day I bought a Reiki book and I remember sitting on a bed somewhere doing hands-on healing on myself. I thought, well, this sounds nice. It's, it's easy. I can do this. So, so you, then, where did you buy the book? Uh, somewhere in India. Yeah. So you just picked, did you know, did you hear about Reiki already? Had you experienced it? No, okay. no. I'm so you like... <laughs> 
Okay, I love it. I love it. So I remember then sitting on a bed and just doing hands-on healing on myself. And I, I quite enjoyed it. And then we met a teacher in Nepal, an English guy. But the, the way he taught was very modern with a lot of modern elements thrown into it. I, I enjoyed it, but we did Reiki 1, 2, and 3 with him over time. And how much time was that, may I ask? It was quite a short time, actually. Yeah. I can't remember exactly, maybe in three, four months or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we went to Darjeeling in India and we started a Reiki school. Uh, it's in the Himalaya. Wow, that's very... The, so from the, Reiki, the time you picked up the book and the time you started the school? About maybe, wow, maybe six months or something. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, mainly we, we started the Reiki school for doing volunteer treatments on a local community. We wanted to help the local community. And uh, so, so we went to tea plantations, these hands-on healing sessions there, taught people how to do hands-on healing on themselves. And at the time, we met also a lot of uh, foreigners or Westerners who also had trained in Reiki. And they said, oh, well, how do you do it? How do you protect yourself? Or yeah. how do you do this? Or how do you do this? And I go, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so then I realized that a lot of people practice in very different methods, yeah. very different ways. Yeah. After having this Reiki center in Darjeeling for a year, we moved back to Australia, where my then partner was from. And we started to do a lot of research in uh, where did the system of Reiki come from? Also, when I was in, uh, in Darjeeling and practicing the system of Reiki, I started to have very specific uh, dreams. And I went to a Buddhist friend of mine, and he said, what are you practicing? Are you practicing Buddhism? I said, I have no idea. He said, because the dreams you have are very specific Buddhist dreams. And I go, I don't know. I don't know where oh this comes God. from. So a lot of these things triggered my research into the system of Reiki. And so, then, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, uh, friends. Prior to your healing session in India, that first one, did you have a practice? No, no, not at all. You had a practice of partying. The practice of partying. Well, you know, you also get in the zone, right? <laughs> in a certain way. So I just want to say that I'm a little mind blown because somebody today, I was, I, somebody I don't know, I, I ended chatting with on, on Facebook, asked me that same question. Are you a Buddhist? And I was like, where does that where did that come from? And so the, that same question that you were asked so many years ago. So please continue. Sorry. Yeah, so, so it, it was really interesting. And that for me really triggered a research of, of what am I really practicing, you know? And I started to read lots of Reiki books. This is beginning 2000, 2001. And there were a few, a small group of, at that time, Reiki researchers, and uh, we started to get involved with those. And then in 2001, for the first time, I went to Japan uh, because I wanted to know what was practiced in Japan. And we started to train with Japanese teachers. And still, I wasn't satisfied. I wasn't satisfied what I was finding in Japan. I found it very modern, the way it was practiced. 
<clears throat> so I kept looking in 2003, went back to Japan, did some more training with Japanese Reiki teachers, and still I wasn't satisfied. Mm. Uh, because when I looked at the teachings itself from a historical viewpoint, then we can really start to see where Mikasui was taking his teachings from. And then if we can see where he took his teachings from, and we looked at how it was taught in 2000 in Japan, for example, then for me, the correlation to that didn't seem to fit. It was all very externalized. While when we look at where Mikasui took the teachings from, it was all internalized. Mm -hmm. So for me, that, that was a, a big conflict. So I kept searching and looking more research and a couple of my teachers who I had, they were also pointing out historical research is great, but please do and sit on your butt and practice and integrate it inside. And so that I started to do more and more and more. And then in 2012, I started to train with a Japanese priest. He's an Ajari. And Ajari means that you're allowed to train another other priests. So it's quite a high level of priesthood. This is a Buddhist or Shinto? Uh, he's uh, well, he actually is Buddhist, but he also does a lot of Shinto. So in Japan, you can actually integrate a lot, you know, so it's not so much like in, in the West, we say, oh, we are Christian or a Catholic and is a big division. But in Japan, a Buddhist can be a Shugendo teacher, a Shinto practitioner, etc, etc. So it's not... Uh, so you can so do both. classified as in in our world okay so so he was basically both he was basically both and he training is... you in both as well yeah so this is uh, where i really started to see the much deeper aspect of mikasui's teachings and and where he actually took it from you know and it's not that it's written in a sutra or in some teachings yeah. But what was very common at that time, uh, in Mikasui's time, that a lot of people started to teach spiritual practices like Mikasui and based it on Japanese esoteric teachings like Tendai Buddhism, Mikyo, Shugendo, Shinto, etc. And when we look at where Mikasui took it from, then we can also see what he was actually trying to teach. You know, I think what happens these days is that a lot of researchers take Mikasui out of that time of Japan and place him in 2021. And, but that doesn't make any sense. And also to really look at the roots of his methods, what he placed within the system, and then, of course, we come to a really interesting conclusion. And I, I was just writing a little blog this, this morning. And, you know, I love the precepts. We can see this actually uh, yeah. on the video behind Beautiful. me. And the, the precepts, uh, we see a great phrase of what is practice diligently, you know. And, and what do we have to practice diligently is not anger, not worry, being true to our way in a being and being compassionate. Yeah. So for me also, historical research is great, but ultimately it doesn't really help us to embody the precepts in 
in our daily life. To be able to do that, we need to sit on our butt and do the actual practices. And I think this is so needed these days. You know, our world is in a strange place at the moment. And so therefore, yeah, uh, historical research is great, but most important is to sit on our butt and do actually the practice. So I have a practical question. Speaking of sitting on your butt, since I read your book, I've been trying to sit in Seiza, but it's very uncomfortable. So my question (laughs) to you, how long can you sit in Seiza? Well, you know, uh, I've got very long legs, so it's not uh, very easy for me either. But exactly. I have, yeah, you have these little Seiza benches. So you have a wooden bench. Yeah. A wooden bench. Okay. And that allows you to stay longer. That allows you to stay longer. Right. It takes the pressure of your knees and of your ankles. Right, right. Uh, or you can pop a cushion under your butt. So you actually. I've tried the cushion, but I still cannot stay as. I can stay in cross legged for a long time or half lotus for a long time. But yeah. Seiza, I feel that you need to build up a practice. So for those who are listening who are not familiar, this is the traditional seating position on the, like a kneeling position where you lean back on the heels. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's quite uncomfortable after a certain amount of time. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but, you know, for me, I also feel that we have to adapt, yeah. practice to who we are. You know, some people can't sit in Seiza or cross-legged. Some people just need to sit on a chair. A chair. Uh, as long as our knees are a little bit lower than the hips, because then it's a nice flow. Right, right. I was uh, going to ask you, how important is the, is the Seiza position? Well, again, uh, as long as we sit straight, you know, so we can sit straight on a chair, uh, not leaning back. When we, when we sit straight, then, of course, we all know we feel a little bit more open, we okay. feel calmer, we feel relaxed. And in Japanese, we can also see this within the precepts, we see the concept of sanmitsu, and sanmitsu means mind, body, speech Mm. and so these three are really important so the mind is very subtle and it's very difficult to adjust right we all know that if i say okay everybody do not anger for the whole day or for an hour (laughs) man it's difficult right but if we say sit up straight for the whole day we can kind of do this much more easier because the body is easy to adjust Speech is also not as easy as the body, but easier than the mind. So, so when you say speech, it's it's not uttering unkind world, words. Is that it? Uh, yeah, uh, one of those, but also that we can speak with clarity. Right. You know, I think uh, as a person, and we all know that when my mind is really clear my speech will be very clear if my mind is all over the place. I might talk a bit like this and we go like that. I might go like, well, like, oh man, I have no clue what you're talking about. So the body and the mind and the speech are all interconnected with each other, isn't it? That's interesting because we, we often talk about mind, body, spirit, right? And yeah. so I like, the, I like this, this speech component. Um, one of the things that I found uh, a bit challenging, or not challenging, but and then I'd want to talk a little bit more about Western and Japanese Reiki, is that I love working with the chakra system. 
Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a certified yoga instructor as well. And I love, I just love it. I find it colorful. I find it playful. I find it very helpful for my students uh, and clients. But then in Japanese Reiki, they don't really use the chakra system, right? Well, I, I see it these days actually much more as a modern and traditional because even these days in Japan, a lot of teachers use the chakra system, right? Uh, okay, because they I didn't find know it that, very yeah. exciting. Yeah, so they find yeah. it very exciting, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> they want more that kind of yeah. stuff than the more traditional Japanese. No, 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 no. <laughs> so it's it's I see it more actually modern versus traditional. Now the 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 whole idea is for me, and I think this is a really important element. We have to ask ourselves. Why are we practicing the system of Reiki? I mean, is that to heal my knee or is that to heal my headache or mm -hmm. is that to embody the precepts in all I do? Ultimately, for me personally, that is to embody the precepts in all I do. Now, of course, Mikasui plays certain methods in it, what come from traditional Japanese spiritual practices. So no chakra, but it's more the hara, for example, or sometimes called the tandem. So we can use the more traditional way. But of course, if you feel that you want to use the chakra system, yeah, in, in a way, why not? However, we can then say, okay, traditionally, this was not yes. used, but today I'm using this to help you to gain a direct experience of your true self. So a wonderful metaphor for this is a little bit like this say i want to go from amsterdam to rome now there's many different ways to go from amsterdam to rome i could go walking i could take the bike mm -hmm. could take a bus i go on horse or maybe by plane <laughs> lots of different ways right people travel in lots of different ways one not better than the other some maybe go a bit quicker but when i finally arrive in rome I am not getting caught up in the way I got there, ultimately. Mm. Right? So when we practice, of course, we need to make sure that we practice correctly, that we don't get sidetracked between Amsterdam and Rome and actually end up in Berlin, for example. <laughs> Because then we never arrive in Rome. We might say, oh, Berlin is nice. But Rome is, say, in this metaphor, Rome is our true nature. Berlin might be our confused state of mind. <laughs> so if we get sidetracked along the way, that is not so good. So we need to make sure that we practice correctly. But in the end, different methods doesn't really matter. We get too caught up. Or, or another wonderful metaphor I use a lot is like going to a restaurant. Ultimately, we go to a restaurant to eat, to fill our belly. As some like Filipino food, some like Dutch food, some like pizza. And yet, in the end, it is just there to fill our belly. Right? We can debate for years to come what is better, pizza, Filipino food, or Dutch food? But that doesn't really help us to eat and fill our belly. We have to eat. We have to sit on our butt and do the practice. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Oh, absolutely. Like I said, I listen to your other conversations, uh, other podcasts, and it's true that 
a lot of people have this expectation when they take a Reiki class that they attend the class and, and that's it. Like, you know, there's some somehow healed or, <laughs> and I always like to emphasize um, that the work starts at the end of the class, actually, when they go home. And, absolutely, and absolutely. I think yeah. this is uh, now a very unfortunate uh, event that, you know, we've simplified the system of Reiki so much that for some, it just becomes a historical research. For others, uh, we say we practice, but I just received the initiation or attunement or radio, whatever we call it. You just do hands-on healing, just surrender, and that's it. But if we really think about it, it's so much more. You know, like if we really think about the precepts, for example, do not anger, do not worry, be grateful. Uh, be true to your way and your being and show compassion to yourself and others. That is not easy to integrate into our daily life. Mm -hmm. If I, for example, say, oh, just surrender. I'm just surrendering. If, if I can say that once or twice or three times and then have no more anger and worry and fear and be grateful and be true to my way and my being and compassionate for the rest of the day, then perfect. But I guarantee you that would not happen for the most of us, right? We have to do much more than saying surrender, surrender three times or to read the precepts three times or to think, oh, I am Reiki or, oh, I had the achievement. So now I don't have to practice. If we honestly really look at that, we can see that we have to really practice diligently to embody that in all we do. And that for me is the more traditional method, really yeah. internalizing it so that we can embody the precepts in all we do today, because it's only through that, that we create a better environment, A, first for ourselves, and then automatically that will be a better environment for people around us, for the world. You talk a lot of traditional versus modern Reiki, right? And so in my head, I wanted you to talk about Japanese and Western Reiki. Are they, is that the same differentiation you're making? It's the same. Yeah, okay. because for me, a modern is kind of externalizing it. Okay. Right? So when so externalizing, you're, you're talking about form. Form, it takes more importance than the content, the formless, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, for example, uh, just what I said, you know, when, when we just say, oh, I'm just setting the intent to surrender. Right. It's not enough. We all know that, right? It's not enough. Or when we draw a symbol in the air and we, we say, okay, now I'm protected. It's not enough. Is mm -hmm. is If we really investigate that, that doesn't really help us to embody the precepts in all our in all we do during our daily life. So we have to do much more. It's is not externalizing. We often see also Reiki as something external to ourselves. Uh, even in Japanese teachers, you know, sometimes they it becomes very externalized. So there is not really sitting on your bar doing the meditation practices every day for 45 minutes a day, for example, uh, it's become very quick, even that they might emphasize that it is a spiritual practice. 
the emphasis is not on sitting on your butt daily for, for example, for four, 45 minutes and doing the meditation practices like Josh and Kokyoho. Often we also still see in Japanese teachings that hands-on healing, just put your hands on yourself and it doesn't matter what you think about. It doesn't matter if you watch television or you talk. All of these for me, I see as very modern uh, within the precepts, we also see the phrase Shinshin Kaisen. And Shinshin Kaisen is a very traditional Japanese phrase used in lots of uh, Zen, for example. Mm -hmm. And what it means is mind-body improvement. Mm -hmm. So normally, my body is right here at this moment in time. So, But my mind normally is in the past or in the future or too busy with the present moment. So if I put my hands on myself for hands-on healing and I say, just think about whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Watch television, chat. It doesn't matter. Then, of course, Shin Shin Kaisen, mind-body harmony is completely gone because my body is here and yet my mind is busy doing something else. That makes sense? Yes. So this is still taught in modern Japanese practices uh, within the system of Reiki. I'm not saying that is wrong. I'm just saying, for me, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, because A, it's not in line with the precepts where we can see clearly that mind and body need to be engaged yeah. with the same focus, right? So if I engage hands-on healing or myself with my body, then my mind need to be engaged with hands-on healing, need not thinking about tomorrow or yesterday or engaging with some chit-chat with someone or watching the news. So that's what I mean also with traditionally. Traditionally, hands-on healing was an act of meditation. This is also why the word precepts means actually instructing or instructions. So the precepts are instructing us how to do hands-on healing does that make sense a little bit it, it does i'm attracted to deepening my practice by spending more time on my butt for example and embodying the precepts and so on but i'm thinking of instances where people who don't do that practice are still able to effectively channel reiki how how do you think that happens then? Well, because we are Reiki, ultimately Reiki is, uh, is not something we channel, it's something we are, you know, it's, it's our true nature. And therefore, we all know, hence on healing is our birthright, we don't have to have the initiation or read you or attunement to do hands-on healing. A, a mother who has never received an initiation, the kid falls right. off, or she puts the hands on the, on, the, on the knee of the kid to yeah. ease the pain because it's a birthright. And this is, I think, it's the same when we, you know, you were saying you practice yoga, it's the same now when we think yoga is an asana, mm -hmm. is a body posture. And, but... We also know that if we do the body posture and our mind is distracted, thinking yeah. about past, present, future, then the body posture is not complete, right? Is, is not really doing what it needs to do. And then <clears throat> the body postures in yoga is just a first step. Then we also have mantrayana, you know. You, <laughs> yama, so, yeah, yeah, we have all the other ones. And ultimately, the practice of yoga is 
for awakening, you know, not, not to be flexible, not to have a great body, not to do a wonderful body posture. Have a nice uh, selfie or so but but this is now what we think of in this yoga and it's the same when we talk about reiki people think oh hands-on healing but it's only one small aspect in fact i think hands-on healing is the beginner element because with hands-on healing we we really touch ourselves is a body element so it's the same within yoga or Tai Chi or Qigong. We first practice with body elements. We have to first regulate the body. The more we can regulate the body, the more our speech or energy or breath becomes easier. Then the mind starts to fall into place, right? If we, if we first want to heal the mind, it's very difficult because the mind is slippery. But when we can control the body, then we can control our breathing, then automatically it becomes easier to control the mind. So I'm thinking about your early practice. Uh, you said you had a Reiki center in Darjeeling, right? Yes. And so when you look at that compared to your practice now, how do you feel about that? I mean, certainly you were helping people back then. Yeah. Right? So are you, uh, because you know how some people say like, Oh, that's not true yoga because they're just doing the they're just doing the asana, right? That's not the true yoga. And is it the same in the Reiki community? Like, oh, that's not true Reiki because they're not sitting on their butts all day, embodying the precepts. Is that of course we can always help people, you know, just even a smile can can help a person, you know, just being kind can help a person. So I see it a little bit within the system of Reiki, Mikasui had the concept of great bright light, you know, daikomyo, or we can see the great bright light also within the precepts. Oh, what is the great bright light? Not being angry, not being worried, being true to your way in a being, etc. So that's, that's the precepts are a description of the great bright light. What is that great bright light? Our true nature, being Reiki, etc. Now, we all know that the more light there is, the more clarity there is, right? If this room is really dark, then it's very difficult to see things in this room. There's no clarity. If I switch on the light, then there is clarity. But if I put more light in the room, there is even more clarity. I can see more dust or I can see more things. So the more we lay bare our great bright light the more clarity there is what kind of clarity it's the clarity on how can we help people in a very direct way and so oh i really see the difference between when i first start to practice my mind was very distracted right mm -hmm. because i was all over the place past present future now i can feel i can control my mind a little bit better so there is a little bit more clarity on how to help people more direct and therefore it becomes easier. And why is this so important? Because we often don't know how much time we have left. You know, we might say, oh, I practice in, in two years time or, <laughs> uh, you know, I only practice a little bit because next year I do more, but maybe I'm not around anymore next year. Maybe I die. And so, therefore, we have to go as fast as possible between brackets. That is for each person different. 
to remember our great bright light because that is essential of your own well-being and is essential of the health of the world. So for me, that is a, is a really, hands-on healing is great, don't get me wrong, but we cannot always perform hands-on healing on everybody. You know, if I walk in town, it's very difficult for me to, to say to everybody, okay, hang on, hands-on healing. However, if I lay bare my great bright light, my true nature, and that manifests as no anger, no worry, being grateful, being true to their way, and being, being compassionate, that will have a very profound effect on everybody I come across when I walk in town. That, for me, is a much deeper healing than hands-on healing. Because that effect has a much bigger ripple effect. Yes. And then that is also the moment we can really start to change our community or the world as a whole. And that, for me, is really what Mika Sui pointed out. Because within the precepts, we don't see anything about hands-on healing. We also don't see anything about a physical healing. <laughs> the whole healing is really about a state of mind. And ultimately, if we look at yoga, we see exactly the same. Or if Tai Chi or Qigong, we come across exactly the same, that the ultimate element of those spiritual teachings is how it can change our mindset. Yeah, that's actually that I just came, I just realized now that you pointed it out that the, there's no mention of the, the physical or the hands-on in the precepts. I never thought of that. Yeah, yeah and this is, uh, you know, when, when this is, I think also sometimes in Japanese, you have the surface teachings and the inner teachings. So the surface surface teachings, for example, of the precepts, I would say, uh, well, they're just, it just says not, no anger, no worry, be grateful, be true to your way and your being and be compassionate. This is the surface meaning. But then when we, when we really look deeper in the precepts, for example, we also see right speech or right action. And some people might say, oh, but Franz, that doesn't, there is no word right action or right speech within the precepts. Uh, then we only look at the surface meaning, right? But of course, when I'm less angry, what happens to my speech? What happens to my action? Right action, because I will now act in a more kinder way. So right action. I will speak in a very different way. So right speech. So what happens when I'm less worried? Also, my actions and my speech changes. So this is when we start to look at the inner meaning of the precepts. So there is very important as teachers and as practitioners that we make sure that we don't stay stuck on the surface meaning. You know, like, for example, that we only see the system of Reiki as a physical hands-on healing yeah. or that we only see yoga as asanas or if we only see tai chi or qigong as a body movement then we we stuck on the surface meaning but the inner meaning that is really what is important and this for me to come back to modern versus traditional or we can say uh, West Japanese but I, I prefer now modern versus traditional the traditional way is to really rediscover what is in the precepts, huh? the inner laying 
or the inner layer of your true self, the inner layer of the teachings of Nika Asui, or the, the inner layer of yoga, right? What is that? Is spiritual awakening. Friends, if, if you meet somebody, let's say at a party or something at dinner, who's never heard of Reiki, how yeah. do you summarize it like in a sentence? It's, it's always a little challenging. Right. Yeah, it depends on the person, you know, exactly, sometimes, yeah. sometimes I might use the word spiritual, or sometimes okay. I use the word healing. It, Do you it use hands on? Do you use uh, no, actually, I, I really say that, uh, for me, that the system of Reiki is a Japanese spiritual practice that oh. promotes helping to lay bare my true nature, or my true self. Or sometimes, sometimes in a very simple way, because everybody can understand this way, the system of Reiki is a Japanese method so that I can live a life without anger, without worry, but being grateful, being true to my way and being, and being compassionate. Then often they will say, so how do you do it? And then I go, okay, you do this through very specific meditation practices like breathing meditation practices, Joshin uh, Kokyoho, for example, hands-on healing on yourself. So through focusing on certain precepts like do not anger, do not worry, what does that mean for me? Why do I get angry? Who is it who gets angry? Then we also have uh, very specific symbols and mantras. We internalize them. We use them as focus tools so that I'm not getting distracted by past, present, future. And then there is something called a reju, a, a spiritual blessing or initiation attunement. And by practicing those five elements daily on my butt as an act of meditation, then slowly, 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 I feel that my life becomes less angry, less worried, less feeble, being more grateful, being more true to my way, my being and being more compassionate. That's a really, a really good definition. I like that. I might borrow it from you. <laughs> I feel free. <laughs> I like that definition. It's very beautiful. Yeah. And it does, it does invite that question. How do you do that? Yeah. yeah. So I'm just thinking of a lot of a lot of people are when they hear the word meditation, they run the opposite way, right? They're like, oh, I can't do meditation. I have too many thoughts. Like they have so many um, preconceptions. Yeah. Uh, which is why, even though I know, and I tell them once they've already engaged that meditation is a big part of Reiki, I never really emphasize it the way the way you do. But really, it is. Yeah. Well, I think as you as you say already, a lot of people have an idea what is meditation, and I think the wrong idea is that it's we have to think the idea that meditation is not thinking, yeah. right? And then we go, well, I, I can't not think can't because of too many thoughts. So when I talk about meditation, I always say it's it's not about not thinking. The thought itself is not the problem. The problem is that we cling to these thoughts. We follow these thoughts. And this is a wonderful teacher. You know, I, I rec highly recommend reading books by, uh, you know, traditional Japanese Zen teachers or Buddhist teachers. Uh, so it is a wonderful uh, teacher, Sundrei Suzuki. And he has this quote, and I, I love it so much. It's really so easy to see or feel and I use it a lot for myself. 
So he says, you leave the front door open, you leave the back door open, thoughts come in through the front door, go out to the back door, and in the middle, don't serve them tea. I heard that, yeah. So I love that. That, for me, yeah. that. That for me is meditation, right? <laughs> it's like dozo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that, yeah. So that is a, a really great metaphor and a great teaching. So if, if I feel I'm, I'm getting caught up in my thinking, then I go, oh, Franz, you're serving your thoughts tea again. Mm, you yeah. know, just make sure you leave the front door open and the back door open. Don't serve them tea. And I like the, the image because there's, there's a very kind of very light lightness to it as opposed it is to a kind of like, like beating the thoughts out of our head, like which most yeah. people tend to do. And it just creates so much stress. And, this yeah. is it. You know, we try to stop thinking and, mm -hmm. and then when I stop it, it becomes more like this, you yeah. know, it is, is, uh, is not so healthy. Then we often try to suppress the thoughts. So we push exactly. them back in ourselves. That's also not good. Mm -hmm. But if we do not touch the thoughts, so how do we train our mind not to touch the thoughts or not to serve the thoughts tea is by focusing on something else. So we focus on our hands or we focus on our breathing or we focus on a mantra or we focus on a symbol. So when we focus on that for prolonged periods of time, because we have to retrain our mind, we train our mind to serve our thoughts less tea. And therefore we cling less and less and less to the thoughts and therefore they just come through the front door and out <laughs> to the back yeah. door all by itself exactly. and that's what we're training what advice would you give someone who's just starting out like really maybe just attended class and they're finding it difficult to have a date to commit or find that discipline for the daily practice yeah, that, that is always really difficult. So for me, I call it the three P's. So that is practice, perseverance, and patience. So have patience with yourself. Keep practicing. Keep persevering. But the, I think an essential element to that is really grounding yourself, you know, because we are so ungrounded and uncentered in our daily life. And through that, we find it very difficult to focus on practice or focus on anything these days. We've become a society where like a two second society and we swipe already quick, quick, quick to the, to the next picture or the next Instagram thing. So therefore really making sure that we focus on yeah, in your case, you know, for example, the root chakra, when we talk about chakras, the root chakra or the sacral chakra, you know, really bringing that energy down in Japanese, it's called the hara, just to below your belly button. Because if I, if I would stand up and you would, I would place my hands just below my belly button, then you can see it's the middle of my body. So now I'm centered. And when we're more centered, it's much easier to have a diligent practice. Grounding. Grounding and really being in the body. You know, I think this is also why practices like yoga or Tai Chi or again, that physically touching ourselves mm -hmm. through hands-on healing is really a first essential element because we are so most of the time out of our body that we yeah. really bring that spiritual mm -hmm. practice in our body because it has to be in our body because that's the vehicle 
we live in today. Yeah. And this is the vehicle we have to be in with no anger, no worry, etc. And And people uh, do find people who previous to Reiki could not meditate. They find it so much easier once they have the the hands, the touch. Indeed, element. yeah. So yeah. much easier, yeah. So the only challenge is that it takes a little time for the practice to build up, right? And so they, there's that little gap where they need to, the lag time has to yeah. <laughs> settle but, in. But yeah. this is, uh, I just start. I'm, I'm not a sports person, but I just started some fitness. And, and it's the same, you know, yeah, I yeah, can yeah. do the same with fitness. Yeah. It, it exactly. takes time to start it to up. Build up, to, yeah, yeah. To, to feel stronger, to be less out of breath, to, but it's with anything, you know, if I want to make cake, that takes practice too, you know, the yeah. first few, 10 times, maybe exactly. the cake is not even eatable, but then, yeah. you know, slowly, slowly the cake becomes better. And then one day, maybe after two or five years, you create a masterpiece. I don't know. It depends on how often we practice. How can people work with you? Are you currently teaching online? Do you have uh, some offerings that people can uh, take advantage of? Yeah, I do uh, teach online. Uh, okay. Specifically, for example, we have uh, 21 day online practices where people can join in. And so we practice one particular practice for 21 days. I think oh, it's really important to create that. again that. <laughs> Yeah, you know that uh, consistency. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, consistency yeah. to really delve deeper into deeper. the practice, and also find the inner layers of it. Uh, there is an online retreat on the second, the third, and the fourth of January uh, okay. to help us prepare for the new year. Then, of course, Beautiful. I do online teachings one on one, but also in person. So normally, so I travel a lot on, around the world. Well, so those offerings are all on your website. They're all on the website. Yeah. Thank you for your time. And thank um, you so much. And uh, yes, speak to you next time. Talk to you next time. Bye -bye. Okay. Bye-bye.